1: Welcome to episode 344 of the Barcelona Podcast brought to you by the Blue
2: Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jay Huffman and he's Rafa Albamui. How's it going today, Rafa? Oof, it's going. To, it's been a rough week, Dan, but uh, here we are, and just like Barcelona against Levante, we came back. There hard circumstances, we never gave up. Electricity went out here in Puerto Rico. It was difficult to record my podcast on my YouTube channel, Masco Podcast, but. Hey, we managed and we came back with the three points, even though it was really hard. But here we are. Glad to uh, be here again.
1: Well, yeah, on Friday, for those who listen to Friday's show, it was just me and in Rafa's defense, he was the first of four people that could not do that show with me. So I just kept going down the list. And uh, so unfortunately, I did have a record by myself, but that's why those who listen to two shows a week are able to at least get this one coming on the following Monday. So yeah, just like Eintracht Frankfurt, Barcelona got through it. And in very different and opposite circumstances, they managed to bumble their way and get through a 3-2 win against Levante. So what's on tap today, though, is two things. I think that 3-2 win of Levante needs a second look, clearly. And we're talking Robert Lewandowski rumors then, which, unfortunately, I think those rumors today got in the way of the real striker with the best goal rate in Europe. So we're going to give respect to Luke de Young here, and we are talking about LDJ first, then we'll worry about next season. Sound like a plan, Rafa? Sounds perfect, man. Lead the way. All right, well, I think where I don't want to start, where actually I realized from the five headlines I did over this Levante match, I didn't even really, really focus on. But Barcelona had three penalties called against them and still won that match, which I didn't actually see. I did look to see when the last time that would have happened or if somebody had that note. And some of the best on Twitter, whether Mr. Chip or even the ESPN stats, I was looking for something. Opted Jose. I was looking for somebody to mention this, but I couldn't find it. All they kept saying was, obviously, Celta de Vigo had three penalties against against Real Madrid a few weeks ago. And that's what (laughs) people couldn't get unfocused after that two weeks when, again, Real Madrid just one because they had three penalties and Levante they're in the relegation zone could not get the same thing. And the real question was, though, for Levante, Jose Luis Morales takes the first one, easily finishes. And then Roger Marti takes the second one and misses, which is interesting that Morales did not take two in a row. Is that a weird thing to you?
2: It kind of is. But I listened to their uh, the postgame press conference. Their head coach, they asked him about that. And he said that they have like, Two or three penalty takers, and then it's like "quote unquote" up to them. And then he was like trying to take away from it a little bit, saying that oh, it's like well, thing is that if if you have like the same penalty taker take two or like the then it's maybe to like throw the keeper off a little bit. Like he was trying to like brush it under the car the the rug. But yeah, it's it's weird because usually when you have a penalty taker and he's still on the field he takes them no matter what whether it's the first second or third that's what happens more often than not i know sometimes especially like when messi when we had the msn they were all buddy buddies and whatnot and sometimes like messi would like leave neymar and suarez and all that but for the most part yeah it's kind of weird especially when morales scored the first one so then you got another dude taking taking the second one and he misses it so that just emphasizes everything and Again, it's just unfortunate for them, good for us, because it again, Ter Stegen was able to to save that second penalty.
1: Yeah, Jose Luis Morales was turning back the clock in that first half, too, on that just an unbelievable run there. Uh, just a fantastic run. It doesn't lead to anything. Barca survived. And I think that really was the story of the Barca defense because I want to start this by giving a little bit of credit to Levante. They are a team fighting, relegation. I mean, they're in the drop zone. They're probably going to be dropped, especially after Mallorca beat Atleti, on the weekend, it just looks like it's going to be harder and harder where and maybe Kadith can find a way back. And Kadith actually has Barcelona at the Camp Nou, so good luck to them next Monday. But right. So I, I think for Levante, it's going to be a tough uphill climb. But Jose Morales showed out like he was turning back the clock and they fought hard at home. And I actually think the game plan was really, really smart from the beginning where Barcelona had been strong siding and putting an extra men on that left side. But they and I think Levante did this on purpose. They didn't know Nico Gonzalez was going to start that match. But I think within moments, you kind of saw that they wanted to take advantage of where he was on the field. So when he was on the right side as the right interior, they would basically have three on Dembele at all times. Because what Nico kept doing, we'll say wrong, is that instead of like when Pedri and Gabi came on the field and pushed high and pressed a little bit higher and and took one of those three center backs and occupied them, that being Pedri did that to Vezo quite a, uh, quite a bit, Nico, he would go out wide to receive or to... Continue that flow as in where Brusquets or it would be Araujo or it would be Danny Alves, when they would shuffle it up on the sideline to Nico, he would just continue that run to Dembele. But that's a redundant pass where if Nico would have come inside and pushed higher and occupied that space where Vezo was, it meant that once that ball got to Dembele, he wouldn't have the outside left back, the left center back of the, th- the three at the back, and one of those two defensive midfielders working over because Sun, Campania, and Vezo with Pepelu cutting down those passing lanes as well because again Pepelu, it wasn't tough for him to get in the middle of Nico and where that next pass needed to go then even to De Jong who switched over to the right side because again Nico wasn't really getting the job done next to Dembele and I just think that Levante took advantage of what Barca weren't doing well and it shut down their entire flow which even when Nico moved over to the left I thought Ferran especially on that pass from Ter Stegen or even working up through the middle his movement and combining through the middle was really good but nothing was happening on that left wing it just wasn't natural for him because he's not a 1v1 dribbler out wide and again Nico would just go wide to the left and again it sounds like I'm piling on Nico a player that hadn't played in five matches prior to this but I think Levante did a really good job of figuring out hey how do we frustrate Dembélé and some of those difference makers here in this match also how do we suffocate Aubameyang completely because Aubameyang and Nico were completely suffocated through the middle. And the minute Pedri and Gabi came on and Barca started just kind of jamming it right down through the middle of the field, Levante had no answer because, again, they're a team that when things are working, they're working, but they don't have a plan B, right? If you figure out their plan A, there's no plan <laughs> B there, and Barca were able to get through.
2: No, I agree. And I'll say two things. One, I hate el Comandante Morales because he's so good. He if, He's like 100 years old. And every time that I see him, I tremble because it's it, I like I fear very little opponents that face Barcelona. But Morales, every freaking time that we face him, especially in Ciudad de Valencia, he owns us. It's just it is what it is. And even yeah. like it we're is talking every time. about You're right. No, no, it, it is it, every
1: time. Yuri Mina, like just name a player, right? Name a player from the past who has been just mortified to see. Yeah, Jose Luis
2: Morales. He just. I can't wait to play Barcelona. (laughs) Exactly. Like, I don't like, I don't want to I know this sounds harsh, harsh, but if there's one good thing about Levante possibly going down is that we won't see Morales again, because he's a nightmare. Like he made Araujo is, I would say arguably right now, current four, what top three, top five center backs in Europe? i in my opinion, like current form right now, I defensively.
1: Mean, yeah, I mean we have to we have to only speak about it defensively.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. and he made Araujo in that play that Ter Stegen then made an incredible save and then Edic uh, made a goal line clearance. He made Araujo look like a fool. So that just goes to show. And it's a the thing is he's made a lot of defenders look like fools throughout the years. And it's just like he's fine, like a fine wine. He, he he seems fit, fast, like it's just, it's just crazy, like kudos to him. So that's why I quote-unquote hate him. Then going to Nico, like you were saying, I'm not a ba- – I've always said it, I'm not a Nico fan. And I I don't know if Nico, Nico's plays as a lone pivot, like in Busquets' role, but what I do know is that I don't think he's, a, he's fit to play as an interior for Barcelona. I just don't think like in – For an interior in Barcelona, you need to have, in my opinion, that exquisite skill to control the ball in tight spaces surrounded by multiple defenders or midfielders around you. And I think Nico's first touch especially isn't that soft, that exquisite. And he knows that. And I think that plays a part in it because when he receives the ball in those little tight-knit spaces that Pedri and Gabi flourish in, when Nico gets a pass in that receives a pass in that area, his first touch isn't that clean, and it just, like, bounces that extra bit that allows either the center back, the left back, the midfielder to just swipe it away. And I think he knows that, and that's why he's, quote, unquote, shy and doesn't even want to, like, push higher up because he knows his own deficiencies. And whether we'll see Nico in that lone pivot role down the road remains to be seen. Hopefully we do, and he excels in that role, but I just don't think he is good enough to play in that interior role. And I do agree that it's kind of harsh because he hasn't played in a while, but I don't think that his deficiencies, in my opinion, are because he didn't play. I just don't think, we're not doing a, him a benefit, and by way I mean Xavi, putting him as an interior because you're, we're just setting him up for failure in that role, in my opinion, hopefully, again, we'll get to see him in that lone pivot role. And then we can pass judgment whether, Hey, he's good enough, or maybe he's not good enough in that role. But I agree. I think he was definitely the quote unquote worst player for Barcelona in that first half and Levante sure as hell took advantage of that. And like you were saying, they were like, we're not, we don't even have to worry about Nico. We're, we're just going to triple team Dembele. And that's basically what they did throughout the entire first half.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. By saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Yeah, I think I want to push back a little on the Nico stuff. Not in defense of Nico, but Mm. unlike Gabi and Pedri, who again just don't make any sense at all, Nico, it is not only his first season in the first team. But it's also the first adversity that he's had his entire career. This is the first run of games where he hasn't really been on the field. And when Xavi took over those first three or four matches, and when Kuman again, was kind of fighting for his job and trying to change things up a bit, Nico actually had pretty good form when the team itself didn't really have good form. There were matches in particular where I would said Nico, pressing-wise, was the most impressive to me. And I think that's why yesterday, not to say it's a little bit of a defense of him, but he looked to me like a player that hadn't been playing for a while. Not even stripped of confidence, but just hadn't really been on the field, hadn't really been around. And I think the way Xavi trains, there's less of a less than an excuse here because of the intensity which those players have to train. You'd think that whether it's Puj, whether it's Nico, whether it's even Langley, that they're training at such a high intensity that when they hit the field, they should be ready to go. But... I don't think Nico was ready. I mean, clearly Langley is we're going to transition to defense here in a second. He was not ready to go at match speed either. And so I think for Nico, it wasn't because I can see that first touch thing. And I think that that wasn't as disheartening to me as it was to see the earlier pressing that I saw from him right when he was in form, right when Xavi showed up, that he was doing that just wasn't apparent yesterday. It wasn't there. He wasn't in the right spaces. He wasn't reading the game the way he did. And I don't know if reading the game is something that that dulls or maybe he is losing confidence. But, you know, with Kessier coming next season, it's going to be even tougher for him to find minutes because you think Busquets is going anywhere next year. Not sure about that. I mean, I think you might see more rotation for him, for De Young and Kessier. But you don't go with Busquets playing 90 minutes week in and week out to completely being gone from the the, the club entirely. That, that's not going to happen. So Nico is going to be the odd man out the way that Pouge was this year. And... For no offense to Pouge, but Nico is still just 20. Nico, as you said, might not be playing his long-term position either. So he's not going to get sent down to Barca B. And for me, I mean, looking at the loans that Barca have handed out recently, I think, as I talked about before, the potential loans for he and Alex Baldé are two of the most important loans that Barcelona will have to facilitate this summer. Those are the two that I say, you know, those are players that actually do have to come back. Actually, even like Inaki Pena to save a little bit of money as the backup goalkeeper. But on that list, I mean, Nico and to be a future contributor. I think the club will want Nico and Balde to be able to be future contributors. And this is one of those loans where you're not just raising your value. You actually have to become a better player so we can use you when you get back. But all right, back on the, the task on hand or Levante on hand. Yeah, back to that back line. It was missing PK. The minute that Danny Alves got hobbled, and I think people kind of were jumping on him that he didn't have it. I mean, he didn't have it yesterday, um, but he also was kicked in like the first seven minutes of the match. They stepped right on top of him and he basically limped through the rest of it. So the fact that he didn't come off when he got hurt, I think is a testament to 38 year old Danny Alves. And not like pain gets any easier or harder when you're 20 or when you're 38, you recover a little quicker. So I bet that bruise on Danny alvis foot is a little bit bigger today than it was when he was 18. But nevertheless, like, yeah, I mean, he certainly did struggle. He'd been struggling defensively, but PK was missed when Langley had to come on the field. You know, I, I think Arajo, yeah, he was dribbled past once by Morales, but defensively he was where he needed to be. That was, you know, the quote unquote one big mistake, but it also didn't even lead to a goal. And then Garcia gave up the second penalty, but I thought for the second straight game, he was fantastic. He was a leader at the back. His anticipation, his understanding of positioning, and just Eric Garcia is learning how to make or make do or make the best of and i said it you know on the solo show i did on friday all of his advanced metrics his interceptions his reading of the game his his you know progressive passing all of those metrics are better from the time at city so the player that he was at city you can kind of forget that now because whatever step you wanted him to take in this year he's made some improvements that have been substantial now over the last few months just like how the team has improved Eric Garcia's metrics are all better than they ever were at Man City. So just get it in your head that that Eric Garcia is probably a better player than he was then. And again, he's 20 years old or 21 now. So what do you expect from him as well? And then Ter Stegen was also good. But as far as the the back line defensively, Rafa, yeah, how scared are you moving forward for the next few weeks? Especially with Araujo missing Kadith.
2: Well, it was nice to see Ter Stegen. I think this was vintage Ter Stegen that we at least I didn't know and was worried, are we ever going to see vintage Ter again? And I don't know if this will be something that he will build on. Hopefully, it will. But this was literally Ter Stegen and messi ask saving us throughout the 2017, 2018, 2018, 2019, and so on seasons. So, see he saved the penalty. He had that incredible save on Morales. It's just that Hopefully this will be a turning point for his season and going forward. Then um, I agree with what you said about Danny Alves. Like it, defensively, since he came back, and I think it's normal. It's not a knock on Danny Alves. When he was 30, it wasn't like he was the best defensive right back in the world. It was like he was okay defensively, but he gave you so much offensively. And now he's 38, so he's been... He hasn't been that good, let's be honest, as a defensive right back. What we've been praising about him is like him with the ball, his like leadership when he goes to the midfield, how he's able to like, like the, become basically like a interior or like, or be with Busquets side to side. And then that was a nasty, nasty ankle turn. So he was, I don't know how the hell he stayed in the game. I thought that was it and he was out. So kudos to him managing the pain because if he, if he had to come out, it was either put Mingesa as a right back, which Lord knows how that would have gone throughout the entire game, or Mufar Aujo as a right back and put Langley as a center back for like 60, 70 minutes. And again, Langley was in for like 20-50 minutes. And look at all the mayhem that he cost. As, as as far as the center backs go, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm an Araujo stand. I know that with the ball, he has to like uh, become better and whatnot. But defensively, he's just a freaking rock. And he had that humongous mistake. But otherwise, it's just like literally I I don't fear. Like if we're facing the top, top tier forwards of the world, I literally count on Araujo to beat them for the most part. But like, you name him, like Mane, Salah, Lewandowski, Haaland, Mbappé. I'm not worried if I have Araujo right there. Then against Eric, I know I'm a big Eric critic. I'll admit it. Because I think, and I think this is maybe why, because he came with this tag, or maybe we want to believe that he could be PK 2.0. Coming back from England, then becoming this all elite center back, that it's going to be like the the vital center bed that of a project and whatnot. And with Eric, even, even though I agree, like, I think he played a good game. I just don't, whether it's, it's the eye test, in my opinion, with him, he just, it worries me because my, again, I know that there's advanced metrics and whatnot, but with him, it just seems like he, he gets to like the, that final like play, barely in my opinion sometimes like it's just the fact that one i think he's 21 i know he can grow up to be a really good player and hopefully he does because then that that's good for barcelona right i'm a barcelona fan i that's that's what i want but i think he's just so slow and that worries me because he's 21 like you're supposed to be at least have a decent speed at this age like when you get older you don't get faster for the most part You get slower. And if he's 21, he's 21. He's really slow. We play so high up the pitch. He has so much ground to cover, which I guess you can make up for that, like PK has throughout his entire career with good positioning. But I worry that when we face the elite, elite defender uh, forwards of the world, it's that I see him like against Morales, against Oafemi Martins from Galatasaray, and then against Iñaki Williams, which I know he's fast, but Iñaki isn't. He's fast, but he's not that great of a forward. It just worries me that because what's Eric's ceiling? And I think, in my opinion, hopefully I'm wrong, I just see Eric as a, at best, the third center back of a contending team. I don't see Eric being the partner for Araujo if we want to compete for like all the titles in the next let's say five to seven years and that's what worries me if he's a i don't have a problem with eric if he becomes like a great third center back that's going to rotate with the starting pair but it worries me that we're relying on him to be like the big camp of araujo for the next five to seven years because it's just i just Yeah, I mean, I don't think they are,
1: though, because that's, I mean, I think the Christensen move, once Langley hit the field, the Christensen Mm -hmm. move made a lot more sense, right? Because if PK or, I mean, Araujo has been injury-plagued his entire career, so there's a good chance that next season you do miss Araujo for a few weeks. It just happens seemingly every year. And yeah, Eric Garcia, as well, has not always been healthy. PK has been really healthy this year, but has not been healthy. I mean, he's also 34, so not always healthy, or 35 next year. And... And then, yeah, then you have Eric Garcia, who actually has been pretty healthy this season. And then next to that is Langley, right? So now Christensen makes a lot of sense, where it is this combination of, and I think Araujo, believe it or not, if Barcelona cannot figure out some kind of, you know, right back, break glass in case of emergency, where they bring somebody in, again, not only will they have to keep Des, which I, as I've said, is, you know, I'm I'm a little biased here, but I don't think it's the the worst thing in the world. But I also think Araujo is going to play a lot of right back. I mean, Des has also been injury plagued his career. And again, Danny Alves next year at 39. is not going to be, you know, potentially the, mar- the mark of health. So Barca next season could have a very, very solid back line with nine or 10 players you really trust. I mean, really. But they might also have at any given time, two or three of them on the shelf because of age or circumstance or again just a player who has a lot of injuries in their career. And you never know what happens back there. But yeah, uh, Langley Leng- coming on certainly wasn't the answer. And that's unfortunate because You know, under Valverde, he made sense. But, I mean, not only is he very similar to Araujo, where I was most critical of him at the back, where he doesn't really play through lines, and he doesn't do that for you with the ball at his feet. And now that Barthes are playing that way, garrett Garcia makes a ton of more sense than langley does because if langley is going to make mistakes with his positioning like the one thing or defending the one thing that he's supposed to be in the game for because he's not breaking the game over when his passing yeah obviously so it's not again heaping on langley but it's langley would he would do much better somewhere else where they really just need a defender to play every game find form and eat up minutes because he's out of form he does not look match fit. He's not where he needs to be, which, again, he's not game ready. He's not match ready to read a, a league game at that speed again. Again, he get not played almost at all this season. What is it, 270 minutes or something total? But all right, let's move up the field because Xavi, I don't want to take away anything from Xavi's substitutions, but if I'm Xavi in that situation, if, I'm, if you're Xavi in that situation, I'm pretty sure I'm going to put Pedri in the game, who's been Barcelona's best player for the last two months. And I think the move for Frankie de Young coming out for Gabi was also interesting, because again, Nico for Pedri you know, made a billion dollars of sense. But, you know, Nico, unfortunate because his first really good play came in the 45th minute when he dribbled his way out of trouble, and that led to a transition for Demolay that Frankie de Young eventually skies over the crossbar. But, you know, they come the second half, here comes Pedri, here comes Gabi, and clearly they were given instruction at halftime to stay high, as I said, already up the field. And it. It sounds something so simple, but Levante, again, didn't have a plan B. The minute Pedri basically plays a false nine and occupied that space that Vezo was using to to bring the help for Dembele, then Levante were like, wait a second, one, two, three, wait, all right, there's an even number of players for Barca up in our defensive box, and that means that someone is wide open, and so Barca kept getting that third-man runner wide open, and uh, you know, also with Gabi and Pedri, Gabi having one of the best technical appearances I had seen from him. I mean, that that pirouette dribble he had where he got out of three out of traffic, obviously on the goal when he decides that he is Dembele and, you know, watching Dembele's watching behind him saying, all right, go on. You be <laughs> OD for a minute and splitting two and just, you know, basically just being, yeah, that's the winger that we never knew he was on the left side over on the right side. And um, yeah. And so Gabi and Petty were just so impactful in that game and they flipped it on its head and then late on coming on. Here comes Luke DeYoung. Jordi Alba apparently I mean, this is not groundbreaking, but Jordi Alba says, hey, you know, go to the near post with that run. I'm going to cross it into you. And then Luke De Young, you know, he's not fast, but he needs against Levante, Levante to go from point A to point B. And he got exactly to point B when he needed to, and Jordi Alba flying him on a platter. So yeah, I mean, it was good for Barca to never give up. And I think that is where I want to give the compliment to Xavi more than I do to subs. Because in the subs made a ton of sense. hundred percent. I think so many people, so many cool aids knowing that bench would do that. But the fact that he does get his team to buy in and fight to the final whistle is something that, you know, clearly they are bought in. They continue to be bought in, and this comeback is another example of how bought in this team is.
2: No, I agree, and the thing is with Gavi and Pedri, I it's just it, it's cliché, but it's just so it, it's it's so real in a in a way that how they are able to just change the game in that manner at 17 and 19 years old it's just and i know even like xavi had has said in a jokey manner that he's like very prone to give out compliments especially to pedri and the whole iniesta comparison and whatnot but you want to like like remain calm with like the comparisons it's like oh can they be like xavi and iniesta 2.0 can pedri be even better than iniesta like they're better than Xavi and Iniesta were at this age, which I think it's we can agree, we can agree on. But when they start just doing the crazy things that they do, and now Pedri, like like Pedri, especially Madrid fans and when like Pedri haters that just want to like to find something to like pick on from his incredible year last year, they were like, oh, he doesn't score goals, he doesn't give out assists, which is just like yeah, like that's just like a such a narrow way to analyze a midfielder. On top of that. Because he was playing amazing, like whether he gave out assists, like Luka Modric sometimes doesn't score goals or give out assists. And he's yeah. one of, if not the best midfielder in the world. Well, well, but listen, now- I got a
1: lot of hate. I got a lot of hate last year at one point because I said that Pedri could improve his final ball. Not even goal scoring. I thought that would come along occasionally or through time. And I also figured under Xavi with the interiors pushing a lot higher that he would have more opportunities but his finish yesterday was really hard it's a very difficult finish and he has added scoring i think ahead of schedule and then as i said his final third balls have and that's what i was the argument i made last year to those you know those trolls on that i'm not asking him that he does have room to grow he did have room to grow last year and he still has room to grow but he did have room to grow and i said if he improves those things in short order he'll be one of the best midfielders in the world very very quickly and the only reason like looking at his the percentages, right? And, I, and we talk about percentiles or whatever. The amount of categories he is in the 99th percentile in world football <laughs> right now, if he was 27 years old, Rafa, he is a top three midfielder. We are talking about Kevin De Bruyne. We're talking about Joshua Kimmich, who plays a different position. And we're talking about Pedri. We're talking about that caliber. That's where his metrics put him. That's where the impact he has on his team puts him. That's where the level he has for a team that is uh, unbeaten in 15 straight games would put him, right? Like a team in that kind of form, you got to compliment somebody and he's been their best player. And if he was 27, he would be a top five midfielder this season. That's where we're, I mean, that's where he's been, but he's 19. So you're right. We're not saying it. We're whispering Iniesta. We're whispering, we're whispering these things because he is 19. But if he was 27, based on what he's done for the last three months, we will be talking about him in the same breath as guys who've done it at the World Cup or done it in these big, Oh wait, Pedri already did it in the Euro, so <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, right. It just, it's yeah. It's. it's and it's, I it's, agree he's, he's with
2: that, what you're saying about the H because I think, in a way, as crazy as this may sound, his H is kind of playing against him because every yeah. time that we mention him or or like analysts and whatnot, they say, oh, he's the best young X, Y, and Z, the best young X, Y, and Z. But no, just because he's not even 20 years old. But if we just look, take away his age, you don't know how old he is. You just see him play. You could argue he's literally one of the top three, top five midfielders in the world. But because we do know he's just 19, it gets overused in a way. He's the best young player in Barcelona, the best young player in Spain, in Europe, blah, blah, blah. But no, he's just one of the best this season since he came back from his long-term, I mean, long injury that kept him out for the first part of the season, he's arguably been top three, top five midfielder in mean, the world. And in his, in his injury cost Koeman
1: his job. I mean, no, the, farther, the longer time goes on, the more we understand that Cumin would, I mean, Barca might be in sixth place right now, or fifth place, or fourth place, they might be hanging on, but it probably wasn't going to be Xavi because Kumin would have kept his job long enough for Xavi to have not been the answer in that instance, right? Xavi wouldn't have had enough time to agree, or want to agree to that short amount of a season that he would have gotten uh, for certain. Yeah, yeah. And, and, so to- was
2: Pedri's injury
1: now a blessing in disguise? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I would have wanted Pedri on the field at all times to get him on the field. But the other thing too that, again, the compliment I give him greater of all is actually the same compliment that he shared with Luke De Young is that those two this season have just been different makers, uh, difference makers. Like Luke DeYoung, this is a great stat from courtesy of Colin Millar, that game was Barca's 11th goal, that being the 3-2, scored from the 84th minute or later under Xavi. Five of those 10 have come from Luke DeYoung, who hadn't even played in five matches, also had, I think he was out with Oh, yeah, he had yeah, And then four of his five late goals came in stoppage time. Like Luke DeYoung has been... I mean, clutch, as clutch as they possibly get, right? There's no, like, NBA comparison I have for you because, like, we're talking Damian Lillard against the Houston Rockets, but only Damian Lillard against the Houston Rockets, right? <laughs> like, not against everyone else. I'm just talking about when it's time to send somebody home in a series, like, because Damian Lillard hit it, like, three of four, you know, season-ending shots or whatever in his career. And that's what you're talking about with Luke DeYoung level. four of his late and uh, five late goals. And it's also... He's, what, at a .59? Maybe you saw this one, and I got the number wrong, but it's like he scores every 59 minutes right now, like, which is an insane mark. That's why we started with this instead of Robert Lewandowski, because obviously, you know, Luke de Young will not be, I, I'd say, what, 97% chance he's not at Barcelona next season. Like, this is a... And it, why I enjoy this, because this is just a storybook. This is all that is for Luke de Jong. Like, remember that time when Luke de Jong showed up at Barcelona, nobody Help me in a him? trivia. Yeah, right. Koeman said that crazy thing about him finishing better than Neymar <laughs> in, in the air. And at least he's that on headers. And yeah, obviously that's true. But yeah, and then he was completely out because he, I mean, he literally could not run and he couldn't get anywhere and he wasn't scoring anything. And then all of a sudden he started to bang a few goals. And even for Cumin he had a few late goals, one or two. And then Xavi just used him in this, this exact role and Luke de young just eight points he's he's responsible he alone is responsible for eight points for barcelona which is the difference right now between second in the table and sixth in the table and that is Luke de young and again this is going to be a footnote in barca history but yeah i love the ride i love the ride Luke de young put me in the backpack <laughs> let's like, it's I guess crazy. he's not going to be here
2: next year it's all vibes it's all fun it's crazy how thing how things change from being so criticized and hated include like, I'll I'll, I'm the first one to admit when I criticize a player, like I was like, I don't want to see Luke the young ever again as a starter. He's just, he's not Barcelona material doesn't have the quality, but now in this break glass in case of emergency role that Xavi has put him literally 85th minute, Luke get in the box and we'll bombard you with crosses and use your big forehead and your six-whatever-foot frame, seven, six, 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 seven, whatever, how tall he is. And in this role, it's just when you got crossers like Jordi Alba, obviously Dembele wasn't in, but then Adama comes in, things like that, now Dani Alves. Just look, stay in the box, and we'll throw crosses at you, and lo and behold, this crazy... (laughs) concoction works because he's really tall and we got really good crossers off the ball. So in this specific role for the remainder of the season, because I agree with you, I don't see Luke the young being here next season. He's perfect. And it kind of reminds me a little bit when there were rumors that like Guardiola, when Fernando Llorente was linked with Barcelona back in the day Mm. of the because of the famous plan B.
1: Let's
2: just throw Crosses in the box when we need a Plan B against like the Chelsea's and Inter Milan's of the world, and we never got to see that. So it's kind of like it's kind of because that's because remi- at the time
1: Athletic Club asked, I think it was sixty mil, and again yeah. this is like pre Neymar going to PSG. Yeah, and Athletic Club were like, no, no, you're gonna <laughs> pony up. Yeah, that's even before he went to the UK, I think. But yeah, I, I mean, I think as far as. What changed for Luke de Jong? Because I think it's one of those questions, right? It wasn't just confidence or whatever. He's a 31-year-old striker. He wasn't devoid of what he does. He knows what he does. But by playing those interiors higher and by putting forth the line of confrontation, a lot more progressive passing from your outside backs, the movement of Farron Torres, where his, that being Luke de Jong... Before, there's no respect to Ez Abde or to Ferran Jukla, but those young wingers are very stationary. They're given a role, hey, play as wide as possible, stretch the field, and we're going to try to work through the middle. I mean, not even under Kuman. Kuman, it was, it was really a 4-3-3 where, you know, see what you can do coming off in 1v1 situations. It wasn't even those high, the, again, midfielders were not pushing through the middle. But now with those midfielders pushing through the middle, occupying at least one of those other center backs, allowing Luke Young to really just have to worry about his matchup and figure out where he needs to be. And then the movement of Ferran Torres, as I said, in behind, coming up underneath. And also, again, from Ter Stegen, Eric Garcia, even, again, PK when he's healthy, those guys having the ability to break through a Ferran Torres run from the left wing, straight up Broadway, over the top, that means that either Aubameyang keeps being open, right, for those near post runs, and Luke DeYoung is open for those near post runs. So, yes, Luke DeYoung is, you know, something has happened, but it's not, it, it is much more... Systemic, it is much more about something is different now than what it was. Because the Luke DeYoung that was slow couldn't get the balls and didn't make any sense. I take nothing of that back. That What what we saw was what we saw was that the way that they were playing, the way that Luke DeYoung was being utilized, it didn't make sense. Like, they were requiring him to move between two center backs and, and figure out exactly what 30 to 40 yard run he needed to make. No, that man needs to make a 10 yard sprint <laughs> from point A to point B. And the reason why... Jordi Alba was so open for that cross is that Ferran Torres just before that had made a run dropping into the middle and Gabi had overlapped through the middle of the field leaving Jordi Alba wide open and also meaning that that other center back the right center back had to push forward to contend with Gabi who was likely going to make a run through the middle because Pedri was also pushed way high in that instance and that means that Luke de Young had a 1v1 matchup to make it 10 yards and so things are different now okay now Let's have fun at the end here, Rafa, or not fun. I don't know if you and I, I think you and I, we talked about a little bit. I think you and I are both going to be party poopers here, but no offense to Lutti Young, right? But if he were to start 90 minutes every week, I think we know that some of those goals might dry up. He actually might have, a, certainly will have a less goals per minute average. But now imagine replacing him or, or supplementing what Aubameyang was in the first half of that game with Robert Lewandowski, because that is the big name on everybody's lips today. And it, listen, it could just be leverage. It could just be, you know, he wants a better contract with Bayern Munich to see out his his playing days. I'm not sure how much there is to this. It really could just be even a smokescreen. Like Barcelona might be going hard after somebody else and they just need a few days of quiet, right? They just need a few days of quiet, you know, as they as they translate and speak Norwegian and, and English. Well, yeah, English and Norwegian. and Anyway, but Lewandowski is still possible and it, it depends on his wage ask. Like, what is he not getting from Bayern that he would for Barca? The reports are that Xavi is the one who called him and he, he's bought into the project. I don't know why he wouldn't be. And it also makes sense for Barca to splash, if you will, for this kind of player, especially if it's a reasonable three-year deal. And I'll go first, Rafa. I'm actually not afraid of a three-year deal. He's 33 now, turning 34 in August, but he's played 97% of all minutes in the Champions League and 96% of all minutes in the Bundesliga. 46 goals and four assists in 40 matches this season. Even if you give him four mil, you know, which would, I guess, go with the salary structure with, with Ansu Fati and Arajo and Pedri. So even if you have to go up to five to get him or 5.5 to get him salary-wise, I mean, if you can lower that in years two or three, right, and have some kind of incentives in there as well, like if you win the Ballon d'Or in your second season, then here's an extra five mil or whatever on top of that. If you can incentivize it with, with you know, front-end the incentivizing, then he's going to be... I mean, what you get from Lewandowski next year is exactly what Barcelona is going to need. He's just a goal scorer. He's so good still today. I, I just, I'm not that worried. When we look at Tom Brady and, you know, and, and Ronaldo and even Messi to a point, like these guys, like Lewandowski, that dude is just a different level. That's a different human being. And he is going to be just fine for the next two or three years. I, I am not concerned with his descent from greatness in a three-year contract.
2: Okay. I think I'll be kind of-ish a party pooper because first, his transfer fee, he has one year left with Bayern, so if he does want to go, it's not going to be free. Apparently, according to like Gerard Romero, he, I mean, Bayern won at least 60 for him. In my opinion, 60 is a lot, and we shouldn't pay 60. If it's like something more like half of it, like 30, I think that would be a fair transfer fee. Then salary-wise... According to Gerard Romero, again, you can take you. You could believe him. You could not. He is asking for twenty net. That's after taxes. Much. Yeah, yeah. That's too much. that's just yeah, yeah. We, if we, if he wants to come to Barcelona. I gave Barcelona. you my number. <laughs> exactly. I gave you my number for him. <laughs> exactly. There's no way in hell we can afford twenty million net because for him to get earn twenty million net because of Spain's taxes, which take almost half of it, we would have to pay him forty. So that just doesn't add up. So again, if he does want to come and he ends up going to Barcelona, it can't be for $60 million of a transfer fee. He can't be earning 20 million euros net. So a lot of what, there's so many what-ifs with this from the salary aspect of it that I just don't even want to like get, can I say, excited a little bit than the sporting uh, aspect of it. He's going to turn 34. If he does sign with Barcelona, he'll be 34 when he arrives at the camp. No. I I say ages aren't the same with anyone. You can age horribly. Sadly, we saw that with Ronaldinho, and I think we're kind of seeing it with Neymar. Or you can age gracefully like Benzema, who's right now like fine wine and physically – the Benzema that was a little bit chubby back in the day that was criticized and whatnot. Now you look at Benzema and he's like a prototype, like just a, in an amazing physical condition. And Lewandowski has been that throughout his entire career. And you could argue that right now at 33, he's arguably in the best shape of his career. You look at Bayern <laughs> Munich's Amazon Prime documentary and you see he's like a cyborg. So bar yeah. any knock on wood major injury, physically, I don't think in his case, age, like the number, 33 years old, 34 years old, would be a problem for a three-year stint, because I think he's in such good shape that he could, two of those three years, he could give Barcelona what you were saying, and I agree, that much-needed goal-scoring threat, like world-class, elite-level, to go with the amazing pieces that you have around it. And if if you're playing like fantasy football and whatnot, can you imagine a healthy Ansu Fati with a healthy Lewandowski and a healthy Pedri to go alongside all the pieces that we already have? Mm-hmm. To me, that's mouth-watering yeah. I got a hot Potential. take for you. I got a
1: burning hot take for you. I very rarely do yes. I step out of my comfort zone with hot takes. If Lob- if Lewandowski came for 10 million or 8 million yeah. salary next season, or you got Holland at 8 to 10 million next season, Lewandowski at Barcelona would outscore Holland at Barcelona next season, and he would also play more minutes and more games. That I mean, that that's that's the hot take for you. That I think Holland to me the next three years feels like as just as much of a risk as Lewandowski. That is just how healthy and consistent he has been for 13 or 14 years, right? It's the same thing with Benzema, as you said, when a guy is showing you who he is today, still, you just, you have to believe that that is currently who he is. And these gigantic drop-offs, they don't happen to people like Lewandowski in that way. Let I me mean, look at Ibrahimovic, right? Like he was like, oh, let me go to the U.S., not to, like, be in retirement league, just to, like, conquer America or, you know, that's what he said. <laughs> and, then, uh, and, then, uh, and then go back to Italy because AC Milan desperately needs me. And, oh, yeah, I need to help them. I don't know how much he helps in the locker room, but I need to help them, you know, potentially win the Scudetto this year. So, yeah, I, I think—I'm not saying I want Lewandowski because any younger forward will also really excite me. But as I mentioned, like, you go through it over and over and over again, and you're like, well, if they don't land on Holland. It's just the same thing with Lewandowski and Holland. the same thing about the, the way that the, the way that these players play. I do not worry anymore. In a way that I did, especially with Valverde and a little less, Cetien didn't even get his own summer. But even with Koeman, where it's like, okay, certain players are going to fit here. Certain players won't. And, you know, it's been this thing with Tata Martino going backwards. Like, what are they trying to do? What is this manager looking to do? And if you're just talking about a guy as a number nine to put the ball in the back of the net... You want a guy who understands space, which I think Lewandowski does better than Holland. Again, it's not a like-for-like comparison, but Lewandowski, I would have no worries or qualms that he cannot even begin on the left wing. But you know, we obviously know where he's going to score the goal, but he starts his move on the left wing. Ferran Torres comes up through the middle, and that's even if Ansu Fati's not on the field, and Ferran Torres is. Uh, so you just what he's able to do would be more than enough in Xavi's system for the next two or three years. And does Barcelona want to kick the can? Would they rather... You know, again, the numbers he's saying, me I me. Mean, this is not real, but if he were to agree to Barcelona, if he really believes in that project that Xavi put out, and if he's willing to take, let's go up to six, six mil in salary for next season, if he's willing to do that, why would Barcelona not take that deal instead of, what is it, for for Holland, what is it, 20, right? It, like Regardless, like we don't know about Lewandowski, but for Holland, we know it's going to be somewhere around 20. So why would you not just, again, basically kick the can down the road and say, hey, in two or three years, maybe a, a center forward that we don't know about yet, one playing in Ligue 1 that actually I, I've looked before. And there are some who are 19, 20, 21 years old. Maybe they become the next, not Mbappe or Holland, but the next really good number nine that's going to pair with Ansu Fatih because maybe he is Barcelona's future number nine in the long, long term, right? And then Pedro will continue to evolve and Gavi will continue to evolve. And so all this team might need in three years when Lewandowski is 37 and ready to, you know, hang it up or go back to Borussia Dortmund to finish or back to Poland to finish his career. Like when he's ready to hang it up in two or three years from at least with his contract, then that's when Barcelona are going to say, hey, you know, we have all these world-class talents. All we need really is a number nine who doesn't have to be the, 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 the guy, just like in that Gordiola era, right? They weren't looking for Lewandowski to be the guy. They just needed Samuel Eto'o, who's an all-time, all-time player. But he was able, that being Eto'o, as much as he didn't want to, to, to be the, you know, he wasn't the Ronaldinho. Then he wasn't Messi. He was just Samuel Eto'o, the number nine. His job was just banging goals and understand space. And so Barca might just need to find that next player in three years. And they might be giving themselves time to do that. And also giving themselves time to afford to be able to do that. And maybe the price of doing business for that might be the seven or eight mil in in this, you know, at least next season, the salary that Lewandowski would cost. Also, what this I, might not matter at all, Rafa, but... <laughs>
2: what I think in this, obviously, I know we're talking about like, like rumors and whatnot. I think what... Is very important in how things develop not only for Barcelona, for Madrid, Dortmund, I mean, uh, Bayern City is the domino effect. Who Mm. out of all these big forwards is going to sign first? Because I think that'll be that'll play a major role into other teams panicking or not panicking. Because, so who do you think uh, is a domino? I got my. That's answer. a good. That's a really good question. I don't know who will be the domino. Because, I think it's
1: Mbappe. I think Mbappe it, is the domino because Real Madrid yeah. is, a, is just waiting. They're waiting in the wings. They're waiting to figure out is Mbappe going to PSG? Is staying at PSG or is he going to Real Madrid? Because that I think is what sets everything in motion. That's what sets. Unless Holland's really going to Man City, right? Like, and that's unaffected by anything else. I think that's what starts that domino.
2: I, I agree. Like he's the, the number one guy, the best player available this summer. But I don't know, for example, if Haaland, like if Mbappe is going to wait till literally the summer to announce it and Mm. maybe Haaland announces it first, and that will kind of push start the domino effect. And then let's say Mbappe goes to Madrid. Barcelona are kind of ish going to panic in a way because it's freaking Mbappe. Haaland ends up going to City. Then you're Bayern. Are you going to sell Lewandowski for less than 60 to Barcelona and be without Lewandowski and not have anyone else to sign of that caliber? Because even like a guy like Bajovic, he's at Yuba now. He's not going anywhere. So there's no top, top tier players available. And I don't think Bayern would sell Lewandowski for less than 60 to Barcelona if, Haland is already gone. They don't have a chance to sign Haland, and Bappe is gone. Adeyemi is close to going to Dortmund. So, are you going to be freaking Bayern Munich and be without Lewandowski and not sign anyone because there's yeah. no
1: one to sign? Well, they're in an interesting so- position because we know you and I both know that if if it's too pricey for Barca, it's definitely going to be too pricey for Bayern, and it's you know it's also not a reminder too that everything behind the scenes for Bayern with that fifty plus one. Their last two assemblies, if you thought there was a lot of arguing at Barcelona's last two general assemblies, like Bayern Munich, it's been quite a, a lot of consternation this year between the decisions that Bayern have made financially and then and the club supporters and those who, again, own 50% of the club. And so I think for Bayern, like they're going through their own stuff off the field, even for the first time in a long time, because they have been just the mark of consistency for, what, 40 years, like since... Yeah, I mean, since the Berlin Wall fell, Bayern Munich has been, I mean, before that even, right in the days of Beckenbauer, like Bayern Munich has always been with Bayern Munich, you know, that, that mark of strength in Germany and of course also dominate Germany. But, you know, it, yeah, I think they have decisions to make as well. And I think the negotiations immediately, this whole conversation might be dead by tomorrow morning when, you're, when this goes out and everyone's currently listening to this. Because if Bayern do get on the phone with Barca and go 60, you hang up <laughs> immediately, you hang up. I mean, and yeah, 25 mil for, I'd say six mil per season. That's my number. There you go. That's the number for a 33 old Lewandowski who, again, for Barcelona next season, will bang in 35 goals and be able to play 95% of all minutes. So, I mean, that is definitely a player that I would take in a heartbeat for Barcelona if the money was right. Rafa, I'll give you the last word on this. Yeah, you're no Lewandowski, but but not even that simple. What's your numbers? You got different
2: from me? No, I. The thing is, I don't see him accepting six million. So that's why yeah. it's just kind of hard to see. Because but then where is he going to
1: go? If if Bayern don't, if, like, I guess he has a contract with Bayern for one more year. But then looking ahead to next season, if he doesn't take a reduced salary to Barcelona now, Bayern aren't going to renegotiate or renew that deal if that's the number he's asking for. Like unless he takes a hometown discount for Bayern Munich and he takes less for Bar- for Bayern than he would at Bar- Barca why would he also not try to just force his way out? And would Bayern, you know, be willing to do that? Like, would you keep Robert Lewandowski, <laughs> a guy who should have a Ballon d'Or, do you keep him captive for a whole season at the age of 34? I mean, that seems like...
2: I, I think they would. Like, I honestly, I think it's just one year if... they, I don't think Bayern Munich are going to under, quote-unquote, undersell Lewandowski. So it, I, it's just... For, like, obviously, we're speaking about Bayern and Barcelona... I just think there's no way we pay 60 for him and then pay him 20 net a year. So, like I said at the beginning, there's just a few what ifs, and those few what ifs are big what ifs. So, I would say I think a stretch would be 10. I think 10 hmm. would be. The number or close to it, whether you gotta go want to go over under nine eleven, but I think ten salary wise net is I think the farthest Barcelona could go. And transfer fee wise, I think there's no way in hell we pay sixty for him. It's I say we pay thirty, and that's the only way it would get done. The if we would pay sixty or seventy, it would be for like a on, not yeah. a thirty-four year old. Lewandowski, yeah. which I, I mean, is still great numbers, and whatnot.
1: And at those numbers, too, you better have renewed Dembele. Like, there's no reason not to have renewed Dembele if those are the numbers you're starting to talk about. But 100% exactly. for sure. So, I mean, it's it's how Dembele and his party and his his group got leverage again once all the numbers about what they were potentially offering Holland, once that stuff came out, then Dembele's camp was able to say, hey, you do have money, liars, you know. <laughs> so, so,
2: oh, we do. That, but I think, I think for the, yeah. I, I don't want to stretch it before we go, but I think we, everybody knew Barcelona. Had money, it's just that or they will have money because of Spotify, they, because exactly. Of they, TV, they will, will have, have money. money, but they didn't want to spend that future money on Dembele because they just don't think he's worth it because of all the baggage that we've talked about for a, a, a hundred episodes. Mm-hmm. It's just that, yeah, like we will have money, but we're just not willing yeah. to give you 20 plus a signing fee and this and that, yeah. For Haland yes, yeah, for you. Not so much. Yeah, I mean, I'll
1: give you like 310 episodes, actually. Legitimately 310 (laughs) episodes of the 344 of this show. Because remember, Dembele signed... What was it? He signed twenty uh,
2: in twenty seventeen. Right, so we signed
1: five weeks after Francesca and I began, you know, came out with episode number one. So five weeks later, Dembele signed, and then our first uh oh Dembele show was like show eight, right? Like the first time <laughs> he went down, and it took till three show three ten until we're like, hey, Shavi's really figuring this thing out with this guy. <laughs> so yeah, all right, well, Rafa, it's always a lot of fun whether it's Lewandowski or Young, You know, <laughs> you're great here. So we want to ask people to remember to follow you. Show notes. Just click on his name, and Podcast. He's doing his thing. Yeah, from from Puerto Rico, but straight through the news from Barcelona. And again, it's in Spanish too, so you can listen to me, you can listen to him. You get the best <laughs> of both worlds too. So we're on Twitter and Instagram as well at the Barcelona Pod. i don't need thirteen for me. Close Facebook Group, the Barcelona Podcast. Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciated. And you also can listen to this without the ads over there. And we're on YouTube with those match reviews, five headlines after every match. The Barcelona Podcast. And before we go, one thing. The website if you go to barcelblog.com it looks new and yeah for those who've been with us for a long time you're going to notice a new thing at the top of the page you know we've done it before so that's all i'm going to say and with this new website in the next week in the next week there is some big stuff going on behind the scenes i've been promising that I've been working on stuff for a lot, lot, lot of time. So we've got some big announcements coming out in the next week. So I'm hoping that Barcelona can take care of business against Eintracht Frankfurt so we can have a lot of fun, a lot of announcements on on Friday's show. So we'll see if I can get it done. But we all know that I'm about as unreliable as (laughs) Ousmane Dembélé from 2017 until 2021. But hopefully, turn your corner, Dembélé 2022. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Orsa Barcelona.